Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Bible says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And of course that word is Jesus. So the question is, why did he become flesh and dwell among us? Why did Jesus come? Fortunately for our question... There are a number of places in the Gospels where Jesus tells us explicitly why he came. We read a little later in Luke's Gospel how he went to Jericho and uh, invited himself to the house of a man named Zacchaeus, little guy who got up a tree to get a better look at Jesus. and uh, But he was a despised tax collector and when they saw that Jesus was going to his house everybody grumbled now I need a bit of participation this morning so uh, there are a number of grumbles in the sermon and I want you to grumble 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 can you do that for me now please grumble 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 put it thank you he's gone to be in the to the, he has gone in to be the guest of a sinner. The inn is important. He's gone in his house. God, Lord. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone anything, I restore it four times. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came. There it is. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I want you to file that. So I'll just ask you to say that with me, if you will. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you. On another occasion... Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, also called Matthew, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose up and followed him. And Levi made a great feast 
in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples. Grumble, 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 grumble. But Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to, there it is, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Turn that into a positive statement. I have come to call sinners to repentance. Will you say that with me? I have come to call sinners to repentance. Thank you. You're doing very well. One day, Jesus' disciples were arguing about who was the greatest among them. And Jesus said, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came, there it is. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay, we'll turn that into a positive statement. And we say it together. The Son of Man came to, be, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Say it again. The Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All of this made St. Paul say, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Would you say that with me? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You're doing very well. One of Jesus' parables gives us a perfect picture of why Jesus came and what his core business was and still is. And Jesus told this parable at a time when tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him and so the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Grumble, grumble, grumble. A bit more grumble, grumble, grumble. Thank you. So Jesus told them the parable uh, which uh, Joanne read. That beautiful parable of uh, the shepherd who has a hundred sheep, discovers that one's missing, leaves the 99 in a safe place, probably in the fold, and uh, goes looking for this lost one. Now, this parable uh, caught the attention of a hymn writer a couple of hundred years ago by the name of Elizabeth Clefane, and she wrote a hymn about it. There were ninety and nine, there were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold. Away on the mountains, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Now the last line repeats and that's where you come in. Away from the tender shepherd's care, away... From the tender shepherd's care. Thank you. Lord, thou hast here the ninety and nine. Are they not enough for thee? 
But the shepherd made answer, This of mine has wandered away from me. And though the way be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. I go to the desert to find my sheep. Get a bit more voice there. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord went through ere he found his sheep that was lost. Out in the desert he heard its cry, weak and helpless and ready to die, weak and helpless and ready to die. Lord, whence are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain track? They are shed for the one who had gone astray ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are their hands so rent and torn? They are pierced tonight by many a thorn. They are pierced tonight by many a thorn. And all through the mountains thunder riven and up from the rocky steep there arose a cry to the gate of heaven. Rejoice! I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne. Rejoice for the Lord brings back his own. Rejoice for the Lord brings back. Come on, more rejoicing. Rejoice for the Lord brings back his own. There is more joy in heaven than that, I can tell you. But anyway. (laughs) Elizabeth Clefane captured in this hymn what I'm calling the madness of the good shepherd and the core business of his church. Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine. Are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, this of mine has wandered away from me. And though the way be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. If you wish... To know and understand Jesus, you need to know and understand what motivates him. What is on his heart? What preoccupies his mind and his attention? Sometimes we say of someone, oh, she's got a bee in her bonnet about something. Jesus told a story of a woman who had a bee in her bonnet. She had lost something that was very precious to her. Those ten silver coins were very valuable. They were perhaps her retirement, who knows. Um, So she wrapped up her hair in a scarf and got her broom and she swept the whole house looking and then she found. And uh, she said to her friends... Rejoice with me. Like she wasn't just happy to rejoice herself. She wanted everybody else to rejoice too. God's like that too. I don't think Jesus would mind me saying that just like this woman, he has got a bee in his bonnet about something. Something precious that belongs to him Something like the woman's lost coin and only far more precious. 
something that he has paid a great price to redeem, that something is lost. And Jesus is preoccupied with searching for it. In John chapter 4, we read how while traveling through Samaria, uh, Jesus asked a Samaritan woman to draw water out of the well. He he must have had a, a bucket or something he didn't. Now, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, and Jesus knew that this woman was an outcast in her own community. Good heavens, she'd had five husbands, and now the guy she was living with wasn't her husband. Shocking. Okay, can you do that with me? Shocking. But you see, this was just the kind of person that Jesus was on the lookout for. And just the kind of person that the Holy Spirit led him to engage with, as he'd led him to engage with Zacchaeus. After conversing for a while, this woman returned to her town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. I mean, <laughs> if you'd, all she ever did, you wouldn't imagine someone going and say that to all the people because they all would say, shocking. But the way Jesus told her all she ever did was with grace. And she felt released from all she ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. They'd been down to Macca's and got some burgers and chips. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, well, has someone brought him something? Uh, Some snack bars or something? And Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. When the barley ripens, it goes from green to gold. And when it's absolutely ripe, it goes from gold uh, to white. That's the time to get the header out. The fields Jesus was talking about were full of lost people. You might say that Jesus' bread and butter was seeking and saving the lost. He was preoccupied. He was consumed. He was invigorated. He was wholly satisfied with doing the will of his heavenly Father who sent him to look for lost sheep and bring them home. And dear ones, it's important for us to see that it is still the same today. Jesus is still Seeking and saving the lost. And his church is an instrument in the Lord's hand which he continually wishes to use to carry out his search for the lost sheep. Around 
1730, two young men in their 20s who belonged to the Moravian Christian community in a place called Hernhut in Germany, they heard of an island in the Caribbean, across the other side of the Atlantic, where a British atheist uh, island owner had gathered two to 3,000 American slaves, uh, African slaves. And the owner was renowned for saying, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll see, keep him in a separate house till he has to leave, but he's never going to talk to any of us about God. I'm through with all that nonsense. 3,000 men and women from the jungles of Africa brought to an island in the Caribbean to work as slaves. And there to live and to die without ever hearing of the love of Christ. Wow. The young men heard about their plight. And they were willing, they resolved, even to sell themselves as slaves to the planter, if necessary, to reach those poor people. The Moravian leaders, when they told them, said, this was madness. The Moravian church community from Hernhut came to see the two lads off. Eventually they wangled away to carry out their plan. Family members were emotional, weeping. Was this extreme sacrifice wise? Was it really necessary? What was this madness? As the ship was cast off, and as it slipped away from the wharf, the young men linked arms and held out their other hands and shouted across the spreading gap between the wharf and the ship these words. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. Okay. What does that mean? The lamb that was slain, yes, we know that, is Jesus. And his sufferings, that's his sufferings on earth and, and on the cross and his death. But the reward of his sufferings. What does that mean? And why did these young men say those words at that time? And what do they mean? What kind of reward would Jesus want for his sufferings? A premiership cup and a garland of flowers? 
I don't think so. He suffered to redeem lost sinners. His reward, which fills him with joy, is to see lost sinners hear the gospel and come to faith in Christ. As the two young men embarked on their mad act of madness, they cried out this prayer that the lamb who was slain would receive the reward of his sufferings in many lost sinners coming to Christ. They ministered among the slaves for several years uh, with some success and then they returned and served the Moravian church as leaders with others coming to the Caribbean and replacing them in ministry uh, so that many thousands, indeed many tens of thousands, came to faith in Christ. That's a lot of rejoicing in heaven. And what they did inspire, what they did inspired a wave of Moravian missionaries that has greatly impacted the world. The Moravians began a prayer meeting that continued 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for 100 years. And the catch cry of mission of the Moravians was, May the Lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Later in his life, one of these two Moravians, uh, by chance, was on the same ship going to America as an evangelist with John Wesley and greatly influenced Wesley on that ship, particularly in a storm. And so began the evangelical revival in Great Britain. And that triggered a worldwide missionary movement from which the Lamb has received the reward of his sufferings. Aren't God's stories great? <laughs> Examples of the Good Shepherd's madness have occurred in many places. And have resulted in many unreached people groups hearing the gospel and coming to Christ. Because you see, it isn't actually a case of 90 and 9 being safely in the fold and one out. It's actually entire masses of people groups who have never heard the gospel throughout the history since Christ. In the early 1800s, James and Amelia Taylor from the UK, so some of them, are, uh, they had no kids and they earnestly prayed, Dear God, if you should give us a son, grant that he may work for you in China. God did give them a son, and his name was Hudson. Hudson Taylor, you may have heard of him. He served for a while 
as a missionary in China and then came home to the UK on furlough or leave. And during that time, he was invited to stay at Brighton, down by the sea. And uh, in due course, he went to church there. However, he couldn't bear the sight of about 1,000 Christian believers rejoicing in their eternal salvation while he was aware of the millions perishing in China. So he left the church and he walked along the beach. And there and then he dedicated the rest of his life to serve God in China. And at that time he asked God for 24 workers. Why 24 workers? Two for every inland province of China and two for Mongolia. You see, up until that time, the gospel had reached China but was only, had only reached the coastal cities and towns. The vast masses of Chinese inland had never heard. The China Inland Mission was thus founded by Hudson Taylor in 1865. He opened a bank account in that name and put £10 in it. At the time of his death, 40 years later, in 1905, over 800 missionaries were partnering with more than 2,000 Chinese pastors, evangelists and Bible women in proclaiming the gospel at a thousand CIM stations and outstations. In his lifetime, 1.5 million English pounds were given to the China Inland Mission for that evangelization work. That's 1800s English pounds. As a result, 30,000 Chinese had become Christians through that CIM ministry. And this, of course, is only a fraction of the now over 100 million Christians in China. Perhaps the largest Christian nation on earth. As the advert says, from little things, big things grow. The harvest of God through CIM brings to mind the words of God to his people through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 49, where it says, God says, look, it's too light a thing, too small a thing, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Hudson Taylor endured much hardship in China, where he lost his wife 
and several young children to illness in the course of that ministry. It was madness, really. Do you know, right now, in our time, there is an amazing instance of this gospel madness going on, as we like to say, as we speak. I've been asked by the organization involved to be discreet in talking about it in public. It's hot. But you can learn all about it in a book which has the interesting title of Madness. One Man's Crazy Dream to Transform Asia and Beyond. Sounds crazy but and sounds mad, but wow, what is happening in there is absolutely incredible. And the organization has given me 10 copies of this uh, to give away to you. And they're on the table over there, so you can just take one. And the less athletic of you, uh, who can't get uh, into the water to be healed on time, um, you can write your names on the page there, and I will get you a copy. Let me conclude with three takeaways from this sermon. Firstly, resolve in your heart that you will dare to pray persistently the Moravian prayer. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. That prayer can change your life. Secondly, resolve that you will take the risk of reading this book on the madness of the Good Shepherd and become acquainted with what is happening in our day. Thirdly, resolve that henceforth you will follow the Lord Jesus in going looking for lost sheep as his spirit leads, even when it seems like madness to do so. Some while ago I wrote a, a, a leaflet, which is a tract, I guess. It's called Four Important Questions, Two Different Answers. Four questions important to human beings, two very different kind of answers that you'll get uh, in the world today. It's, it's the kind of thing you can hand to somebody. And I, I printed off a stack of them and put them on the table. As an act of madness, you might like to take some and give them to people who you sense may not have had have heard the gospel, but could hear it if you were willing to have a little madness of the Good Shepherd.
brothers and sisters, the most exciting thing about today is that we too can share in the madness of the Good Shepherd and the core business of his church. We have been praying as a church, the Lord's kingdom will come. And whoopee, it is coming in our day. Praise the Lord. Uh, there are copies of this sermon on the table out there if you'd like to have one. Joan is now going to lead us in our prayers. Thank you, Joan.